Good morning and welcome. Just a word of explanation about this morning. As you will have gathered, this is not our normal worship, which has been cancelled. However, we felt that for anybody who hadn't heard it was cancelled or perhaps one or two visitors who are passing through who are looking for worship, we thought that a small group of us would just show up and put on this short act of worship. So delighted that you're here. Uh, what we do here this morning will be recorded and will go on the website so that people who have not come to church this morning uh, will maybe be able to, to tune in and listen. Um, for that reason, I wonder if I might just ask you uh, if you perhaps come just a little closer. Um, we have this thing about social distancing, which is really important. So I, I think it's important. But I think if we're going to record what's happening, it would be good if we could just be a little closer together. So maybe fill just the first few pews. That would be wonderful. But keep your distance from one another. <laughs> That's wonderful. Great. Thank you very much. So I'd invite you now, I hope you've all got an order of service. I would invite you to stand as you are able for our call to worship. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. O oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Let us now worship God as we sing a version of that psalm, Psalm 95. You'll find this at hymn 59. Hymn 59, O come and let us to the Lord.
Let us pray. O holy and gracious God, who walks with us in the garden and who walks with us in the desert, we praise and bless your holy name. We come to you this morning as weary pilgrims through a barren land, thirsting after you, our souls parched and dry, longing to taste of the cool, refreshing spring of your presence. We come in search of the water of life. And yet, God, we confess that we dwell in a desert of our own making, not satisfied with what you have given us and done for us, we turn from you and we turn against one another. We create a wasteland where life is threatened by death. And we come seeking forgiveness. We come thirsting for the grace that pours out so freely from you. We come confessing our sins and failures to you. O oh God, we praise you that here we find you waiting for us. Here we find you drawing deep from the wells of salvation, refreshing us with a love that gushes forth and that wells up in our lives. And we praise you and we pray in the words our Saviour taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now just to set the scene of our reading that follows, comes from Exodus. The people of Israel have been liberated from captivity in Egypt. They are wandering in the wilderness. They have already complained about the lack of food, and God has provided for them. And now in this passage, they complain about the lack of something to drink. And you can find the reading on page 66 of the Pew Bible. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, 
and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Thanks be to God for his word. Now music and worship. Hymn number 540, I heard the voice of Jesus say.
Please sit down. Let us pray. <clears throat> Living God, strike open your word, we pray, that we may drink of its life-giving water. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, there they go again, those ungrateful, faithless Israelites doing what they seem to do best, grumbling, whining, complaining, and it seems there's always something to moan about. In the previous chapter of Exodus, it was food that they were banging God's ear about. We're hungry and there's nothing to eat. Now it's water. When do you think these Israelites are ever going to learn to trust God? When are they going to learn to have a little faith? After all, hadn't God just parted the sea so that they could escape the Egyptians? Hadn't God responded to their grumbles about bread by sending the manna from heaven? When are they going to get the message? God cares for them. God is going to look after them. God will meet their needs. And poor God, what the good Lord has to put up with. There must have been times when the divine patience was stretched to breaking point and God must have regretted rescuing the Israelites. Maybe he should have just left them back there in Egypt under Pharaoh's lash. Well, of course, that's the easy way of looking at it. Blame the Israelites for their bad behavior. But maybe we can sympathize with the Israelites just a bit. Have you ever been really, really thirsty? Thirsty so that your mouth is parched and dry and your lips are cracked? Have you ever experienced the burning, stifling heat of the desert, seen that your water is running out, that you're having to ration it, and then the children start crying and you cannot stand that? Your own thirst is bad enough, but dear God, spare the children. Maybe the Israelites deserve a little understanding. Indeed, maybe they deserve even more understanding because actually what is at stake here is not just water or the lack of it. That's bad enough, but there seems there is an even deeper fear lurking here, an even worse possibility than the absence of water, and that is the absence of God. If we read the passage carefully, it seems that underlying the immediate presenting issue of where is water, there is an even more troubling issue, where is God? It's not just the presence of water, it's the presence of God that is at stake. So just listen again to how the passage ends. Moses called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That's the real question. Out there in the desolate, rock-strewn desert, is the Lord here with us or not? And yes, maybe the Israelites should have trusted that God indeed was there. 
Certainly the writer of Psalm 95, from which we began our service this morning, thought that the Israelites should have been more trustful. The writer is pretty hard on them. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. I want, however, to be the Israelites' advocate here. Their grumpiness was not just due to stubbornness. Their grumbling at Moses was not just whinging, nor was it down to low blood sugar levels due to the absence of Coca-Cola in the desert. No, their complaining was born of fear, the terrible fear that God had deserted them. They were frightened because they wanted God to be there with them, and there didn't seem to be much sign of him. And maybe God understands that, because God does not punish them for their grumbling. God does not throw firebolts down from heaven. God hears, and God graciously responds. Moses is commanded to take hold of his staff, and suddenly in this dry, desolate landscape, water gushes from the rock. And the people drink, and their thirst is slaked. But maybe, too, is their thirst for God. For God is there with them at the rock. I love the way another version of the Bible translates the promise that God makes to these fearful Israelites in verse 6. It reads, You will find me waiting for you there. There is the sublime assurance of God's grace that in this dry and barren place, there at the rock, you will find me waiting. And they did. In this passage, therefore, water is inextricably bound up with God's refreshing, life-giving presence. And thirst becomes a cipher for a yearning, a longing for God, as it is elsewhere in the Bible. We read, for example, in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul yearns for you. And in the Easter season that will be soon upon us, we recall Jesus dying on the cross. And what is it Jesus says as he hangs from the cross? What are the words that he utters as he prepares to die? After this, Jesus, aware that all had now come to its appointed end, said in fulfillment of Scripture, I am thirsty and a sponge is filled with wine and held to his lips. But the thirst that Jesus speaks of here goes much, much deeper. Here, Jesus, right to the end, is thirsting for God, thirsting for the sustaining presence of God. Well, what of us today in our secular 21st century? Are we 
thirsty for God? I ask myself that question. Here am I with my academic studies and my academic degrees, my position as the minister of the English Reformed Church, but am I thirsty for God? Are you? I don't think our society and our culture in the, what we generally call the West is very thirsty for God. We don't see much sign of it, and I wonder why. Maybe it's because, on the whole, we are relatively comfortable and at ease. Maybe the world of consumerism and plenty inevitably takes the edge off our spiritual thirst, if not eradicating it entirely. Why is it that in much poorer parts of the world, churches are packed and faith is thriving, while we in our relative plenty see steep decline and indifference, if not active hostility? Maybe we cover up our thirst for God by binging on other things. The poet T.S. Eliot famously took our story this morning as an image of contemporary life. Picturing our materialistic world from which God has been banished as a waterless wasteland in which we wander. And he wrote, if there were water and no rock, if there were rock and also water, and water, a spring, a pool among the rock, if there were the sound of water only, but there is no water. Here is our milit militantly secular world with its desert of consumerism, its desert of violence and war, its desert of poverty and injustice, and now the desert of disease surrounding us and entrapping us. And we might find ourselves asking of such a world is the Lord in our midst or not? But what good if he is? And if there is indeed water, the water of life, but we are not thirsty. What's the good of water if we don't thirst? And this takes us back to Jesus Lent is, of course, the season when Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness. And we're told that after 40 days, he was hungry, and no doubt, he was very thirsty. And as with the Israelites in the desert, that hunger and thirst became a kind of a symbol for his hunger and thirsting after God. And maybe, indeed, maybe this is the true purpose of Jesus' fasting and the discipline of fasting generally, that our craving for food and drink might become fused with a craving for God, so that even as our bodies yearn for food, so our soul yearns for God. Maybe that's the point of fasting 
to arouse in us an appetite for God. And whatever else we do in Lent, this should surely be our deep prayer, that we might hunger and thirst for God in a way that can never be satisfied and that indeed God will always keep us thirsty for him. Maybe, however, we do thirst for God. Maybe we are not numbed by our materialism, not numbed by the desert of our modern world, but the problem is God doesn't seem to be there. Maybe we are back with the Israelites asking, is the Lord amongst us or not? Maybe, like them, we fear that God has deserted us, for we feel God's absence, and maybe you know something about that. And there will be people saying about the coronavirus, maybe God has left us, abandoned us, judged us. Maybe there are times when you have encountered the desert, the wasteland that is God's absence God's silence. Perhaps like the Israelites, we have evidence of God's presence with us in the past. We may even have great stories to tell. But sometimes that is not enough to sustain us here and now. And it may be tragedy that strikes, or it may be doubt that assails us, or it may be temptation that grips us, and there is something of the desert about our lives. And so that voice persists. Is the Lord in our midst or not? Is God here? And the reason we ask that is because we yearn for God. The reason we question God is because we do long for him, but we are daunted by his absence precisely because we thirst for his presence. Well, let me finish with this. The Israelites feared God's absence, but they found God waiting for them at the rock, which Moses smote and the water poured forth. And if the season of Lent is about wilderness and desert, and God's absence, then don't forget it ends with Easter Sunday. That glorious morning when God smote that rock which sealed that tomb and the water of life came gushing out. And if the cry of Lent is, is the Lord in our midst or not, then the promise of Easter is, you will find me waiting for you there. And always that is the promise to those who thirst for God and who seek after God. Always that is the promise to those who feel the desert of God's absence. Somewhere, somehow, we will find him waiting there for us. Somehow, somewhere, the dry rock will split and we will taste water.
somehow, somewhere, that promise will come true. You will find me waiting for you. Amen. sing hymn number 550, a version of that Psalm 42 that I quoted from, as the deer pants for the water.
Good morning. Let us pray. O God, our refuge and strength, our help in times of trouble, have mercy on the lands where the coronavirus pandemic has taken hold. Have mercy on the lands where this illness has destroyed livelihoods. Be with those who restore health of the affected and strengthen those who rebuild hope so that entire communities may face the future without fear. O God, our Father, we bring to you the needs of those communities which have been struck by this virus. We pray for the healing of those men, women, and children who have been contracted, who have contracted the virus. Give them strength and courage in this time of darkness and fear. We ask for your blessing for the medical staff working in affected communities and pray for their efforts to stop the spread of the virus will be successful. Protect them as they tend the sick so they might remain healthy and strong. Go where they are needed most. Grant that in our own comfort and blessings, we may never forget the needs of others and respond with the love and compassion of Jesus Christ, our teacher, savior, and friend. Lord, help us maintain a reverent attitude towards nature, threatened from all sides today, in such a way that we may restore it to its role of usefulness to all humankind for the glory of God, the Creator. May the waters flow peacefully. May the herbs and plants grow peacefully. May all the divine powers bring unto us peace. May the rain come down in proper time. May the earth yield plenty of harvest. May our world be free from war, supreme Lord of peace. Let us give thanks for the world around us. Thanks to all the creatures, stones, plants. Let us learn their lessons and seek their truths so that their path might be ours and we might live in harmony, a better life. May the earth continue to live. May the heavens above continue to live. May the rains continue to dampen the land. May the wet forests continue to grow. Then flowers shall bloom and we people shall live again. Jesus Christ, you travel through towns and villages curing every disease and illness. At your command, the sick were made well. Come to our aid now in the midst of the global spread of the coronavirus, that we may experience your healing love. Heal those who are sick with the virus. May they regain their strength and health through quality medical care. Heal us from our fear, which prevents nations from working together and neighbors from helping one another. Touch the hearts of heads of governments and decision makers to put ego aside, cooperate, and make enough resources available to fight this pandemic. Heal us from our pride, which can make us claim invulnerability to this disease that knows no borders. Jesus Christ, who traveled through towns and villages, curing every disease and illness, come to our aid now that we may experience your healing love. Jesus Christ, heal our fall. Stay by our side in this time of uncertainty and sorrow. 
Be with those who have died from the virus. May they be at rest with you in your eternal peace. Be with the families of those who are sick or have died as they worry and grieve. Defend them from the illness and despair. May they know your peace. This we pray in the holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're not going to take up an offering, though there will be a bowl at the door if anybody wants to make an offering. But I think it would still be appropriate for us to stand and to say together the prayer of dedication, which is dedicating ourselves to God. So let's stand for that. Gracious God, through our offering of ourselves and of our gifts, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amen. We close our service with number 167, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. <laughs> 